God gives them basically one message. Follow me. Follow me out into the unknown. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we have Mark Heim, who's the Samuel Abbott Professor of Christian Theology at Andover Newton Seminary at Yale Divinity School, and Abdul Rahman Malik, who's an Associate Research Scholar and Lecturer in Islamic Studies. They're discussing Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and verses 13 through 17, which is appointed for the second Sunday in Lent in year B. The text is read for you by student Antonio Vargas, Jr. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and verses 13 through 17. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, neither is there transgression. For this reason, the promise depends on faith, in order that it may rest on grace, so that it may be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So, A.R., these passages from Romans by Paul are very much based upon the story of Abraham from Genesis and Abraham's going out from the call and promise of God and uh, the blessing that's promised to Abraham. So that background belongs to both of our both of our traditions. It's always struck me for, for Christians, these passages are addressing that the three dimensions of the blessing that were given to Abraham and Sarah, God promises to make them a great nation, promise them, promises them a land, promises that all the nations of the earth will bless them themselves by them. And from the Christian perspective, or from Paul's writing, Paul was saying he sees how those first two things were fulfilled in the people of Israel, but how was the third 
fulfilled. And to him, well, Jesus is the answer to that question, that this is the way that the Gentiles and all the other nations are going to receive incorporation into that promise of Abraham. So there's a kind of a very tight connection uh, between the tradition and this text here. And, and I think that this essential question that's being tackled in the in the first part of the selection of verses around faithfulness and righteousness, right? Deeds and acting upon faith and the, the idea that faith itself is the measure of our connection to God or to, or to, to godliness to me is, is really is really interesting because it speaks from my Muslim positionality to this, this tension, right? Between Jesus's message as a Jew to his community around the nature of the law and the nature of practice, right? And this kind of the Jewish sensibility around faithfulness and law and righteousness being closely, closely connected. And in some ways, you know, as a, as a Muslim, we enter into this into this debate lightly, but also very intentionally as putting ourselves forward or as the Quran putting itself forward as a kind of a balancer between these two. That while law and righteousness and good works are an essential part of the expression of faith, faith itself is valued and one can have faith in, incomplete, perhaps, not fully formed, perhaps, without, without good deeds, but that between law and love, faith and action, there is a balance. I think the Quran and the Prophet Muhammad's message inserts itself into this pre-existing tension in a very particular way. So I feel like I'm a bit of an interlocutor into, into, into Paul's conversation here, which he's clearly having within this within this Jewish community, right? Within this in this proto-Christian post-Jesus reality, if yeah. you will. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I mean, Paul is very he's very much underlining an aspect of the Abraham story, which is from his perspective, there's not a thick content to what Abraham is asked to believe. God gives him basically one message: follow me, follow me out into the unknown. And Abraham is willing to do that. And this is sort of the quintessence of faith from Paul's point of view, that there isn't, there isn't a lot of law, really. There's really on the law kind of boiled down to one simple thing. And he, he thinks that's very paradigmatic. And that's probably that's probably one of the sensibility differences, if you could, could say such a thing, between traditions where, you know, Paul is, oh, he's going to have a lot to say about the possible uses of the law, the importance of the law, but we're not canceling the law. But he's leaning very hard in the direction of it's it's that trust and venturesomeness, right, in response to the to the call of God that he wants to underline so much. I, I love in verses six, seven, and eight the the reference to David and this 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 blessing, which is actually it's so beautiful and so it's so connective as I read it. It connects me to the merciful, compassionate, generous creator. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one against whom Lord will not reckon sin. And of course, that resonates with me because I think to myself, yes, works are there, law is there. But as you said, Mark, it's not enough. Ultimately, what are we relying on? What are we hoping to access? What are we what are we desiring to connect to? Isn't it the favor 
of the Creator? Isn't it the favor of the Lord? Isn't it to be looked on, the Arabs say, with Aino Rahma, the eye of divine mercy? Isn't that what we're what we're after here? Whatever the state of our whatever the state of our deeds is, because ultimately, and this is this is there is this there's a strong sense in Islamic spirituality that deeds are vital, are necessary, but not sufficient. That, well, that the sufficiency is from God. We've we've talked before, Layar. I'm interested in, in hearing more about this. That that here clearly Paul was emphasizing a certain kind of continuity with Abraham in, in the the attitude toward God and the responsiveness to to the call, even if the call was something that you've not heard before and hasn't been part of the law as given in the past. But but I've heard you say that in the Islamic tradition, there really is this sense of, of continuity with Abraham and Sarah in a very ritual, in a very, in a very geographical even sense. And that's something a little, a little you know, less familiar to Christians. Could, could you say something about that? No, thank you. Thank you, Mark, for opening, for opening that, that, that kind of field. You know, in, in the story of Ibrahim, Abraham is essentially the story of, of Hagar or Hajar. And that she is left in this valley, the valley of Beka, where she is left with her child Ishmael, and there it is desolate, and there is no water, and she runs between these two mountains, which in the Arab, Arabic Arab tradition become the mountains of Safa and Marwa, and she goes back and forth seven times, searching for water, only to find the angel with her child after this this running back and forth, and where his where his little feet have kicked into the sand, there is water emerging. And for, for us in the Islamic tradition, be, this becomes the well of Zamzam. This becomes this, this well which continues to flow today in the city of Mecca, in the Arabian Peninsula. And during the Hajj, during the, during the pilgrimage that Muslims are to make once a year to the symbolic house of God in Mecca, what we are doing is living these moments. We actually run between the two mountains physically. And in fact, there's one part, uh, Mark, uh, in the ritual where we run faster because it's the moment that we're told in the traditions that that Hagar's gait increased because she was so worried and she felt so far from her child that she ran faster. And so we're encouraged to run faster between those two mountains. And then at the end of that process, we we are we are told to remember Ishmael and Hagar. But as well, Mark, the Kaaba itself. This, this cube-like structure that is built in Mecca, our belief is that structure was first built by Abraham with his sons, and that they built this place of worship, and that the same promise that we see elsewhere in the Bible is the same promise that's repeated in the Quran, that not only is Abraham a nation, but but that the righteous will come to this place to pray. And and, and in fact, so much so, Mark, that, that in the Islamic conception, while Jerusalem uh, remains a kind of an axis mundi, that axis mundi is reclaimed in Mecca because of Abraham. It is the Abrahamic building of the structure of the house of worship that connects us to the to the heaven so 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 truly abraham remains for us very much alive so much so that i was recently learned something really fascinating that 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 i think is worth sharing it is the it is it has been the belief of muslim tradition that hagar herself and ishmael himself are buried in the precincts of the kaaba that actually there's a place called the Hajar, uh, 
There's a place that is actually marked out uh, next to the Kaaba, and it is said that it is in that area that 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 Hagar herself and Ishmael himself are 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 buried. So not only when we visit the Kaaba are we visiting the the house of worship that Abraham built, but in fact we are paying respects to Hagar and Ishmael who we who we commemorate. So so much of this is it, like it, like you know our relationship with Abraham is is sort of encoded into ritual. Mm, and it's so fascinating that this passage, I mean, the, the latter part of the passage we're looking at in verses 16 and 17, where Paul says of Abraham, he's the father of all of us. Mm. It's As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. Even though in Genesis, it, it says, I'll make you a great nation. <laughs> um, Paul is readily, and I think partly because he's already seeing this, this, this Gentile world being partly enfolded into this same story. He's saying, well, it's got to be more, it's got to be actually many nations that are the mm-hmm. offspring of Abraham. And that's, uh, uh, it's encouraging. I mean, that the, the father of all of us, certainly for Jews, Muslims, and Christians, this is a very encouraging notion. What we haven't always, the Jacob and Esau story tells us that we haven't always been, you know, nations, amicable nations uh, together or in the same family. But the vision is there in a very profound and powerful way. And it, it strikes me so much that this question that Paul was wrestling with, how how is it that all the nations of the world, all mm. of them, are going to be blessed by this story of Abraham, which now Paul was saying is, in a way, Jesus has grafted other people into that story. And he says, well, well Jesus is the answer to, to that blessing being extended. But if we want to look around us today and say we want to believe that that blessing is being fulfilled, for instance, that that you know more than half of the world's population now explicitly follow one of the Abrahamic religions, that to to revel in that blessing we have to uh, recognize each other, the mutuality. I mean, if if I say in my narrow Christian lane, I'm gonna it's a it's a more narrow blessing that's been fulfilled, but the Islamic tradition has spread that blessing so much more widely. And Paul says it doesn't in, in, in this verse 16, for this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. And I think for our times in our multi-religious, multicultural world, what a message from Paul. Right? What a reminder to us that the faith of Abraham, the ethics of Abraham, the morality of Abraham, the the spiritual philosophy of Abraham is universal wisdom. And wherever it finds home, it it grows and develops and becomes itself a blessing. And to me, that is like a powerful statement to me as, as a Muslim, that I must always keep my embrace and vision as open and as generous as possible because we flow from those same, I would hope, beautiful principles and, and morals and, and, and values and ethics. Of course, it's hard to look at this passage with, without thinking about internal Christian discussions and debates over over time, because what exactly it means, this justification by grace through faith mm-hmm. over against the law, righteousness that comes by faith, has obviously been not just an issue between Protestants and Catholics at a certain time in history, but a, a perennial kind of a spiritual discussion of the kind of balance you were talking about earlier, about how to how to work out that 
the openness, the openness that comes to faith that's not entirely circumscribed by the given tradition or the given understanding, but where there's already a path laid out, right, for, for fuller life and, and community faithfulness. So I think for any Christian community, there's going to be echoes of those sorts of debates going on here and thinking about Paul and thinking about how is your particular community located historically in relation to some of those. Thanks for listening. For a transcript of today's episode and lots more, check out YaleBibleStudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer Helena Martin. And our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.